welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to the generous underwriters of Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Thursday, August 31st, we are studying Leviticus chapter 4, verse 1 through chapter 5, verse 13. In today's text, the Lord gives his people instructions concerning sin offerings. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor John Busman. Pastor Busman serves at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Coleman, Alabama. Pastor Busman, welcome back to Sharp Iron. It's fantastic to be back with you again. As we get started today, Pastor Busman, talk to us about the book of Leviticus. What should we know as we prepare to look at this section today? I think the first thing we should know is uh, very simply, don't skip it, just because it's one of the books of the Bible that always gets skipped. It's like a genealogy that people just kind of get bored with and, and flip on through, but there is so much in the book of Leviticus that with uh, a little learning, we can make uh, quite a bit of sense of and, 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 and enrich our understanding of ultimately the sacrifice that, that Jesus made for us on the cross. So don't skip it. That's what we're aiming to do here on Sharper Iron right now. What should we know about where we are in history and where we find ourselves within the book of Leviticus as we approach chapter 4 and part of 5? So basically all the way through the Bible so far, we've kind of seen the narrative of Genesis play out. We've then see God's people be enslaved in uh, Egypt for 400 years, of course being delivered by, uh, by Moses there. And essentially once the people arrive at Mount Sinai, everything kind of comes to a screeching halt as far as uh, going here and there. Everybody is encamped still at Mount Sinai, and uh, at the end of Exodus, God gave Moses the uh, instruction for the construction of the tent of meeting and all of the appointments in there, so the tent of meeting has been built, and God is giving Moses the remainder of the law here in the tent of meeting. So that's where we uh, essentially find the entirety of Leviticus happening is there in the tent of meeting. Mm. All right, and we've already heard some instruction about various offerings, burnt offerings, grain offerings, most recently peace offerings. Today we have sin offerings. Anything to, to notice in the text that we've got just by way of preview? I know it's a, a bit lengthy, but any, anything to pay attention for as we, we listen to it in just a moment? No, it is. It is a lengthy text, but one that we can certainly get through. We're dealing here with unintentional sin, and uh, as you listen, uh, notice the different people who are involved. You'll hear uh, the priest being involved. You'll hear the the chieftain. When these different people sin, who is involved then in the sacrifice, and what sacrifice specifically is appointed for which uh, person? Or group of people who are uh, who are doing these unintentional sins. All right. So with that, we turn our attention to the text. 
This is Leviticus 4, verse 1 through 5, 13. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If anyone sins unintentionally in any of the Lord's commandments about things not to be done, and does any one of them, if it is the anointed priest who sins, thus bringing guilt on the people, then he shall offer for the sin that he has committed a bull from the herd without blemish to the Lord for a sin offering. He shall bring the bull to the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord, and lay his hand on the head of the bull, and kill the bull before the Lord. And the anointed priest shall take some of the blood of the bull, and bring it into the tent of meeting. And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood, and sprinkle part of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood of the, on the horns of the altar of fragrant incense before the Lord that is in the tent of meeting. And all the rest of the blood of the bull he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And all the fat of the bull of the sin offering he shall remove from it, the fat that covers the entrails, and all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins, and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys, just as these are taken from the ox of the sacrifice of the peace offerings. And the priest shall burn them on the altar of burnt offering. But the skin of the bull and all its flesh, with its head, its legs, its entrails, and its dung, all the rest of the bull he shall carry outside the camp to a clean place, to the ash heap, and shall burn it up on a fire of wood. On the ash heap it shall be burned up. If the whole congregation of Israel sins unintentionally, and the thing is hidden from the eyes of the assembly, and they do any one of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, and they realize their guilt, when the sin which they have committed becomes known, the assembly shall offer a bull from the herd for a sin offering, and bring it in front of the tent of meeting. And the elders of the congregation shall lay their hands on the head of the bull before the Lord, and the bull shall be killed before the Lord. Then the anointed priest shall bring some of the blood of the bull into the tent of meeting, and the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle it seven times before the Lord in front of the veil. And he shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar that is in the tent of meeting before the Lord, and the rest of the blood he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And all its fat he shall take from it and burn on the altar. Thus shall he do with the bull. As he did with the bull of the sin offering, so shall he do with this. And the priest shall make atonement for them, and they shall be forgiven. And he shall carry the bull outside the camp and burn it up as he burned the first bull. It is the sin offering for the assembly. When a leader sins, doing unintentionally any one of all the things that by the commandments of the Lord his God ought not to be done, and realizes his guilt, or the sin which he has committed is made known to him, he shall bring as his offering a goat, a male without blemish, and shall lay his hand on the head of the goat, and kill it in the place where they kill the burnt offering before the Lord. It is a sin offering. Then the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger, and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering, and pour out the rest of its blood at the base of the altar of burnt offering. And all its fat he shall burn on the altar, like the fat of the sacrifice of peace offerings. So the priest shall make atonement for him and for his sin, and he shall be forgiven. If any one of the common people sins unintentionally in doing any one of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, and realizes his guilt, or the sin which he has committed is made known to him, 
He shall bring for his offering a goat, a female without blemish, for his sin which he has committed. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering, and kill the sin offering in the place of burnt offering. And the priest shall take some of its blood with his finger, and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering, and pour out all the rest of its blood at the base of the altar. And all its fat he shall remove, as the fat is removed from the peace offerings. And the priest shall burn it on the altar for a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And the priest shall make atonement for him, and he shall be forgiven. If he brings a lamb as his offering for a sin offering, he shall bring a female without blemish, and lay his hand on the head of the sin offering, and kill it for a sin offering in the place where they kill the burnt offering. Then the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger, and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering, and pour out all the rest of its blood at the base of the altar. And all its fat he shall remove, as the fat of the lamb is removed from the sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall burn it on the altar, on top of the Lord's food offerings. And the priest shall make atonement for him, for the sin which he has committed, and he shall be forgiven. If anyone sins, in that he hears a public adjuration to testify, and though he is a witness, whether he has seen or come to know the matter, yet does not speak, he shall bear his iniquity. Or if anyone touches an unclean thing, whether a carcass of an unclean wild animal, or a carcass of unclean livestock, or a carcass of unclean swarming things, and it is hidden from him, and he has become unclean, and he realizes his guilt, or if he touches human uncleanness, of whatever sort the uncleanness may be with which one becomes unclean, and it is hidden from him, when he comes to know it and realizes his guilt, or if anyone utters with his lips a rash oath to do evil or to do good, any sort of rash oath that people swear, and it is hidden from him, when he comes to know it and he realizes his guilt in any of these, when he realizes his guilt in any of these and confesses the sin he has committed, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he has committed, a female from the flock, a lamb or a goat, for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him for his sin. But if he cannot afford a lamb, then he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he has committed, two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. He shall bring them to the priest, who shall offer first the one for the sin offering. He shall wring its head from its neck, but shall not sever it completely. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood of the sin offering on the side of the altar, while the rest of the blood shall be drained out at the base of the altar. It is a sin offering. Then he shall offer the second for a burnt offering according to the rule. And the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin that he has committed, and he shall be forgiven. But if he cannot afford two turtle doves or two pigeons, then he shall bring as his offering for the sin that he has committed a tenth of an ephah of fine flour for a sin offering. He shall put no oil on it and shall put no frankincense on it, for it is a sin offering. And he shall bring it to the priest, and the priest shall take a handful of it as its memorial portion and burn this on the altar on the Lord's food offerings. It is a sin offering. Thus the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin which he has committed in any one of these things, and he shall be forgiven. And the remainder shall be for the priest, as in the grain offering. That is our text for today. That's Leviticus chapter 4, verse 1, through chapter 5, verse 13. So, Pastor Busman, one of the things you pointed out to us to pay attention to is the various groups of people that are involved, and the sacrifices are different based on who is the one who has sinned, and then later, even how much a person can afford. So talk to us about the way that this, this works within this section. 
so one thing one thing that I did notice as as I was working through the text is that all of the sin is is even through different means is all needing to be dealt with and no matter how wealthy a person is or poor a person is there is there's a a right sacrifice given for them in order uh, for atonement to be made so it's not like if somebody is so poor that they can't afford something that well they're there it's too bad you can't have your sins forgiven there's uh, there there's a way for atonement to be made for no matter who uh, the person is but again you know we're dealing with unintentional sin here there's there are all kinds of uh, different uh, different sins that are dealt with different ways that that will be covered obviously in the book of Leviticus but uh, these are the specific sins that somebody doesn't necessarily know is a sin, uh, may not have heard that law of God before, but over and over you hear, or when it is made known to them, when they do hear that word, then uh, this is what has to be done. Notice how ordered everything is as well. You don't, there's never a, a time when all of a sudden you have your animal or you have your flower or whatever uh, the case may be and you go and you say, well, what do I do now, right? It's all very ordered and all very structured in order to have this atonement for their, for their sin made. Yeah, and that's something that has really stood out to me as I've been reading the text out loud, especially. I, I don't know that I would have caught that quite as much just reading it silently, but when you read it out loud, those varying parts that are repeated, but then the differences within each section stand out all the more. And it really is, although it it might strike us as burdensome in our context, but I don't think it was, in, I certainly don't think it was intended to be, and I don't think it really was, because you, like you said, you actually knew precisely what needed to be done, and because that was God's promise attached to it, you knew then that you were going to receive the forgiveness that he's promised. That, that's right, and, you know, also on top of that, sin is is never even in the act of sin or in the atonement that's made, it's never an individual thing. There are always other people involved. So somebody's sin, whether intentional or unintentional, it does affect other people. Uh, and we see this through the through the uh, through the sacrifice, right? I mean, there's there's uh, a financial uh, payment that needs to be made. Some sort of you know either either the purchasing of uh, somebody's flock or herd or the sacrificing of your own the priest is of course involved and uh and it's despite being an orderly thing it is it is a very messy thing as well hmm. uh, so talk more about the the reality that we're talking about unintentional sins that are being atoned for here why is that significant within this section and, and within you know think about how we apply that today yeah, so I mean, sin is sin is sin, and and I don't I don't know how how often we kind of consider these unintentional sins. You know, we we do these things in our lives, and we'll say, "Oh, I'm sorry," and somebody will say, "Well, it's okay. You didn't know," and that seems to be the typical response today. When here in Leviticus four and five, there's never this. Well, it's okay. You didn't know. It is a big deal. I mean, there's a there's this great sacrifice that has to be made and 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 you kind of get the sense with all the effort that goes into this that 
it would drive people further than into the word where those things that are uh, the unintentional sins, well, I need to know more of the word so I don't do that. So I don't do that again. Uh, You know, Psalm Psalm 119 speaks to uh, delighting in the law of God. You know, the the more I I read this text from Leviticus and and got into the Psalms, it kind of enlightened those sections of the Psalms where it talks about where it talks about delighting in the law of God, you know, you typically maybe read that before and say, well, how can you delight in something that that condemns you? But it it does, it it enlightens the will of God for us uh, and and really speaks to to this section as well. Yeah, the the Psalm verse that comes to my mind is from Psalm 19, where, where David talks about, you know, who can discern his errors, declare me innocent from hidden faults, and that, right. I mean, I think this chapter really enlightens what he's praying there, and, and you connect it then to the sacrifice. He's not just saying, Lord, I didn't know, so don't hold it against me. Lord, I didn't know, so receive this sacrifice for my sins. I mean, I think that's the, the way to right. understand it. And again, I, I right. do think that really, that, that helps us to have a greater appreciation of just how damaging our sin is, whether intentional or unintentional, to take it sure. much more seriously. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, you read you read a lot of text there, and and it's yeah. not you know the the and again, not to not to continue to to repeat myself, but you would think that if if God is going to view unintentional sins as oh that's not that big deal, you know, go read go read more of the scriptures or you know go listen to Moses some more so so you know and kind of brush it off. Well, these sins don't really need a sacrifice. No, all sin needs. A sacrifice. Uh, everything needs to be atoned for. Uh, so again, uh, seeing the the depths of um, what Christ paid for for us, even the things that are hidden to us, the things that we don't know, He has by His blood then uh, then forgiven as well. Right, and then in, in that sense, then these sacrifices for unintentional sins, which are made known to the various people involved by the time the sacrifice is, is there. But at the same time, just the fact that there are these sins for unintentional sins, I think ends up providing comfort for consciences that otherwise would be troubled. What, what about those unintentional sins that I don't know? Will the Lord forgive those? To see the way that he right. treats these unintentional sins that do become known, I think adds to the comfort of consciences for sinners in, involved in receiving the forgiveness. Absolutely, and it's everybody. You know, it, it doesn't it doesn't matter if you're you're the high priest or the the, the chieftain or or who you are. Um, nobody is is outside of this unintentional sin. Nobody, not one of them, knows the 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 law of God so well that he's beyond unintentionally sinning anymore. I mean, the the very first one who is addressed here as unintentionally sinning is the priest. And he he should be the one who who knows knows more than all, but but his his sin is the one that brings guilt upon the people. Uh, and again, so nobody nobody's sin is just done, and it's uh, kind of a personal matter. It's affecting the entire people of Israel. His sin, so it needs to be dealt with. It needs to be atoned for. Mm. It is striking that in this chapter, the first person mentioned is the priest who sins unintentionally. 
just looking through the book of Leviticus so far, over and over again, you know, these offerings have been open to anyone, whether the burnt offering or the grain offering or the peace offering. And, and yet there's always been, you know, that, at least in my mind as I've been reading it, okay, so one of the people of Israel is bringing this offering, the priest is there to help him with that. But now the first time someone is mentioned as unintentionally sinning, it's the very priest who's been helping with the sacrifices all along. He right. is a very good reminder of the fact that we're, I mean, this whole, the whole people of Israel from the top to the bottom, they're all sinners. Uh, and, and within that, I mean, my mind can't help but also jump to the book of Hebrews, and then how Christ is our great high priest surpasses all the things that we're seeing here. Absolutely. Uh, to make a, you know, to make a connection to the divine service as well, um, you know, as we, as we begin to partake of the sacrament of the altar, uh, it, it, is, it is a good practice. It is uh, meet right and salutary for the, uh, for the presider, uh, the one who's standing in the stead of, of Christ to, to first commune himself. Uh, and I think Leviticus 4 does, does speak to this. It speaks to the, to the priest first as, as having his sins atoned for, even the unintentional sins. Hmm. Now, talk more about the so the priest is the first one that's mentioned here in this chapter. Talk more about what you you mentioned just in passing earlier that when the anointed priest sins, that he brings guilt upon the people. How does that how does that work? What's the I mean? Talk a little bit about that. You know, this is this is something that we see through the scriptures, uh, and and not necessarily um, limited to the priest, but when we see other people sin that it does affect the people. You know, the first one that I think of is uh, in the book of Joshua. Uh, however, it is an intentional sin with Achan, how, you know, he takes some of the of the silver that he's not supposed to take, and then the next battle, all of Israel falls. So individual sin does affect the rest of the, uh, you know, of the people. Um, the priest, above all, should guard himself uh, against these things because I, you know, um, you don't want to. You don't want to bring guilt upon your own people. Uh, we need to be repentant, uh, uh, though we are sinners. We need to be uh, on constant guard. We need to be reading the scriptures, uh, marking them, and inwardly digesting them, as the collect of the word uh, says, uh, in order that we can then uh, to educate our people on the law of God, um, and all all of, uh, essentially be. Repentant and forgiven together. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think about just even all the way back at the beginning of the book of of Genesis, how when Adam sins, that brings guilt upon all people. It's the way Paul applies it in Romans chapter five. So that right. that thought that someone who's at the the head of a people, when he what he does affects all of the people, and so it it was true of what Adam did. It's true for the priest here. I think there's there's an element of this in the New Testament when in the qualifications listed for those who would be oversight overseers, the thought that he needs to be above reproach, because the the sins that a pastor commits, while equally standing underneath God's forgiveness, often have greater impact and and hurt people in in ways that are more more involved simply because he is in the position that God has placed him there. Sure, absolutely. Whether it's you know whether it is deals with matters directly in the church or reputation-wise, however it happens, it all comes back to the church and it all affects the people. So 
So pastors, priests, whoever the case, uh, need to be even higher on guard for uh, for for this this kind of behavior. That's right. That's right. So just kind of looking through some of the details. The, well, here's the—and I think this is another thing to maybe point out as the, the flow of the chapter. When you've got the high priest sinning, the offering is a bull. With the whole congregation, the offering is a bull. But then as you kind of go down the ladder, the leader, his offering is a male goat. And it kind of—I mean, maybe this is something that we don't recognize quite as much in, in our world today that's a little farther removed from flocks and herds and things, but— in terms of value of these animals, it's going down. Like, and I think that's that's worth pointing out. That is not based, and it's not based on the sin that's committed either. It's based on the person who commits the sin. That's right. It, it's based on the person. Uh, you know, I was <clears throat> I referenced uh, Kleinig's commentary on Leviticus, which is which is very very well done, and he also writes the writes the commentary on, on Hebrews and really joins these books together very, very well. I would uh, highly recommend uh, both commentaries for, uh, for anybody out there. If you can get your hands on them and, or if your pastor has a copy of them, just grab them and, and, and work your way through them. He has a section in, uh, in his commentary on, on this chapter about um, these animals being, you know, obviously real animals, but the symbolism behind them, how the bull is the head of the livestock, and that reference is the, the priest. Uh, the chieftain is, u- is using a male goat, and the male goat is kind of the leader of the flock, and that's, that's what we see the, uh, the chieftain doing, who's the leader of the tribe uh, or a leader of the, the family. And then you get into a female goat or, or a female sheep who are simply members, members of the flock. Notice not um, a, a male uh, for the regular people, uh, lest it, you know, kind of start blending the sacrifice, start blending itself into the Passover. So there is a distinction that is made there, and I and I, I really appreciate what uh, what Kleinig um, did with that. It, it helped me to uh, to better understand kind of what's going on. Because again, as I started, you start to get into books like this, and it's very tempting to just skip over it and and. You know, skip into the wilderness wandering, skip into the bronze serpent, and then and then move along in the Old Testament because there does seem to be quite a bit of repetition and 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 not really knowing what sense to make of it. But the differences here are uh, are needed to be looked at and 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 further figure out what's uh, what's going on. And and I think I think he does a good job in his commentary on this. Yeah, absolutely. If, if your pastor has a set of those blue commentaries published by Concordia Publishing House, look for the one called Leviticus by Dr. John Kleining. He's got some excellent material that supplements things that we don't always have time to talk about here. We're going to go ahead and take our break right now. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor John Busman this morning. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Lutheran Church Extension Fund exists to support Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and church workers. How do we do this? Your investment with LCEF makes it possible for LCMS churches, schools, organizations, and church workers to receive low-cost loans for new and growing ministries. And faithful Lutherans like you, church members and church workers alike, make that possible when you invest with LCEF. 
Learn more at lcef.org. LCF is a nonprofit religious organization. Therefore, LCF investments are not FDIC-insured bank deposit accounts. This is not an offer to sell investments or solicitation to buy. LCF will offer and sell its securities only in states where authorized. The offer is made solely by LCF's offering circular. Investors should carefully read the offering circular, which more fully describes associated risks. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, August 31st. We're studying Leviticus chapter 4, verse 1 through chapter 5, verse 13 with Pastor John Busman. He serves at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Coleman, Alabama. Pastor Busman, we've been jumping around the text, noting some similarities from one person to the next that sins. Uh, one thing that, that stood out to me as I was reading it, in both the case of the priest and then the whole congregation, a few things happen within the sacrifice, the process of it, that we haven't seen so far in the book of Leviticus, that so far pretty much everything has been happening, generally speaking, around that altar of burnt offering in the courtyard. But in these first two cases, some of the blood of the bull is actually taken into the tent of meeting, sprinkled before the Lord in front of the veil, and even put on the, the horns of the altar of incense, which is there inside the holy place. Again, I, th I think that speaks to the importance of what has happened and the seriousness of particularly those first two groups, that the anointed priest and the whole congregation, when they sin, this is a very serious matter. And so the Lord shows that seriousness by some of the things that happen in these sin offerings that we haven't seen happen yet in this book. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a serious sin is a serious thing, and the the response to the sin, the, the making atonement, is a very messy thing. Uh, in this case, everyone winds up with blood on their hands, so to speak. It's not simply that you you go you know hand your offering over to the priest and and go home and everything's okay. Uh, you know, you're you're holding the sacrifice, you're making the sacrifice, and then you you hand it over to the priest, and blood is, is you know, on the altar, incense altar, burnt offering altar, the horns of the altar, uh, even at the the curtain, right? This this re reading this really kind of changes your idea, your mentality about what the inside of the tent of meeting and eventually the temple actually looked like. I think sometimes when we consider what this looked like, it's, it's very neat. Obviously, everything's in order, but I don't know that we necessarily consider the blood yeah. and that it was, you know, everywhere, all over these altars, all over the... I mean, the consider the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the holy place, the place that held the Ark of the Covenant, the, the dwelling place of God, the place that only the priest could go once a year. And there's there's blood at the base of this curtain. Uh, I, I, I don't, you know, again, why it's good to read these texts every so often is it, it, it brings the reality of what the inside of these places actually looked like. Mm. Well, and even, you know, thinking about, and I know we haven't gotten there in Leviticus yet, but the Day of Atonement that's coming in, when the priest would enter into the, the Holy of Holies for that one day, just imagining that, I've never really thought about that before, that, oh, he, he could look at all that blood that had been put there because of either his own sins or the sins of the whole group, and be like, 
oh yeah, that's the kind of year we had. And yet here was yeah, the Lord. Could, <laughs> right. You, yeah. And, 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 and theologically, right. You can only, whether it's the incense altar, the, off, the altar of burnt offering or that curtain, you can only approach the presence of God through blood. That's the only, and, and it remains. I mean, again, how, how well are we coloring in now the New Testament when we can see that, you know, we don't have a, a completely separate thing going on in the Old Testament than we do the New Testament. It's not like there's this God of the Old Testament and God of the New Testament. You can only enter the presence of God through blood. And thanks be to God that, that, uh, that, that we have Christ and, uh, and, and aren't dragging bulls and goats to to Jerusalem anymore. That's right. He, he has accomplished all these things by his own blood, the, the blood of, of his precious son that has paid the price that has atoned for our sins. Now, looking again into the, the text here, we've talked at length about the, the high priest and his sins. When the whole congregation of Israel sins unintentionally there in verse 13, and the, the process is described, it sounds very similar to what happens with the, the anointed priest. Are there any differences to point out there? Uh, right, so so the people are actually involved here as well. Again, it's it's not as if you're just kind of handing, you know, dragging your sacrifice up to the up to the tent, and the priest says, "Okay, your sins are forgiven," or or takes it and goes to sacrifice it and comes out and says, "Oh, it was a good sacrifice. Your sins are forgiven." Um, you know, the people. Uh, verse fifteen says, "The elders of the congregation shall lay their hands on the head of the bull before the Lord, and the bull shall be killed before the Lord." Uh, you know, so the blood is is on is on them as well, literally, uh, literally covering them, uh, and then then the priest goes and applies the blood elsewhere. So that's for you get, again the priest himself and for the people as a whole. They are to offer a bull for their unintentional sin. Then in the next section, verse twenty-two, the ESV talks about a leader who sins. I think you called him a chieftain before. Who should we be envisioning here in verse 22 and following? Right, so remember kind of your history of of God's people. They are not yet under the the monarchy with uh, with with Saul. You simply have the tribes and families within the tribe. So you have essentially the the leader of the tribe here um who who is who's responsible for this. So you know, typically, in the future, this this may be judge or King Saul, King David. But since we're not under the uh, under the monarchy yet, uh, you have these individual tribal leaders, tribal or family leaders, and that's what we're talking about here in verse twenty-two. Mm-hmm. So, and then I think you mentioned this before: the animal that's offered. Now we're going a step down from a bull, but it's still a pretty significant animal: the goat, a male without blemish. Talk a little bit about that. Right, so the the goat, uh, the the male goat, is seen as the the this leader of the clan, the tribe, as the leader of the flock. So, uh, as I mentioned before, Kleinen kind of makes this this symbolic connection to this animal. Uh, you know, not quite the bull, not quite high priest level, but still a significant member uh, and leader of uh, of the flock, but you, and you, and then you can see the similarity of how the sacrifice is made and then where the blood is, is put elsewhere. Hmm. You know, I, just thinking again about the way that the sacrifices are determined by the person who is committed, 
rather than the sin that has been committed, I think is a, it's different than the way I think we usually think about these things. We tend to grade sins based on how bad the sin is. And there, there is a place for that. I know there's been times where, where people have thrown out those distinctions. There is a place for recognizing that some sins have greater earthly consequences, especially against our neighbors, than others. So there, there is a place for that. But it's, I think it's worth noting as well here that that's not the distinction that's been made. The, the priest doesn't get to say, oh, it was just an unintentional sin, or oh, it was a little sin. He is judged based on the fact that he's the high priest. And, and same with the leader. It's based on the, the person rather than the sin itself. And I think that that's something we should keep in mind when we think about the seriousness of our own sins as well. I, I do too, certainly. And, and you know as, as a pastor that, you know, you come across people all the time, maybe even your own people who uh, have certainly started to grade their sins based on how big or or little they are. And it seems like the sins that people consider as bigger sins that, you know, somehow God is not, uh, or they're, they're not, they're not truly forgiven or, or they haven't repented enough or they haven't, you know, they haven't been sorry enough in their heart for God, uh, for God to forgive them of that sin. But those sins are forgiven in Christ. They're, they're done as, Intentional, unintentional, it's, it's over. Christ says it is finished. Your sin is atoned for. Uh, but yeah, it's it's greater, you know, the, the high priest needs to, <laughs> needs to watch himself. The leader of the tribe needs to watch himself. Uh, but all sin, obviously, in, ultimately, in the eyes of God, is, uh, is equal. All requires sacrifice. All requires blood. Right. And so here the Lord provides for that atonement to be made. Beginning in verse 27 of chapter 4, we have basically anybody that's left, it sounds like. So we've got the, the priest who's anointed, we've got the whole people, we've got the leaders, and now is it the ESV translates it, the common people sins unintentionally. And it, it looks like, again, the, the animal that's offered here matches up with the, the status of the person. Is that, is that the case with the female goat without blemish? Right, so it, it, it does. So it, it's a common member of... Uh, uh, of the flock, and and then you'll start getting into uh, levels of, um, I guess, for lack of a better term, financial ability. Uh, but yeah, these are for your for your common people. Again, blood is is still required. The person is still involved, um, and then the priest burns it on the altar. Uh, interesting language here in verse thirty one: burns it on the altar for a pleasing aroma uh you know this is not like you got the got the smoker rolling here you, you know it's um you're you are dealing with with a burnt offering with with skin and and everything like this but despite the uh maybe unpleasant smell for the people it is a pleasing aroma for for god because uh, sin is being atoned for there's also the same kind of language um, after the flood, in Genesis chapter nine, when when uh, Noah takes uh, of every clean animal and offers it on the altar that he had made, and 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 the text says that it essentially arises as a pleasing aroma uh, before God, um, restoration, renewal, forgiveness—that is ultimately what is pleasant 
to the Lord our God. Mm. All right. So he he is the one who counts it as pleasing in his sight, to use that language of, of Genesis 15, and Paul picks that up in Romans. And so since he counts it as pleasing in his sight, then the the assurance for the sinner is that now the sinner has been counted as pleasing in God's sight. And that, that ultimately is, is where the benefit lies, is, is to receiving that assurance that, yes, your sins are forgiven. God looks upon you with favor rather than with wrath or, or condemnation. Right. I mean, and so that would be the connection then to, to Christ, who's called the this pleasant aroma in, in a couple of places. I think it's in... Oh, Second Corinthians, I think Paul uses that language that that we have this aroma of Christ, this wonderful fragrance, and and that it's. I mean, yeah, how and, is it that we go ahead? And who? And, no, I was just going to say, and and again with with such kind of a, a messy place, really, with blood everywhere and and the burning of flesh, the, a common person, and not necessarily a common person from Israel, but just kind of a. A worldly person would look at that and say, "Who would, who in the world is that a pleasing thing for? This is this is disgusting. It's gross. I don't want to be a part of any of that." Um, but when when the forgiveness of sins is involved, the person who is being forgiven sees it differently. God sees it differently. It's it's the same thing of how we can look at the crucified Christ. Who, who, would, who would bear to consider uh, the beating and the spit and the drops of blood and, and being nailed to a cross uh, as a pleasing thing? Uh, who would dare call it Good Friday? Uh, but when you're looking at it from the perspective of the forgiveness of sins, every last sin, thought, word, and deed, and the way the Father views us now through that sacrifice, um, you, you, you kind of look at these things through a little bit different of a lens. Mm, yeah, yeah. To, to see it then from the perspective of, of what God says about it, I mean, what, what makes this the pleasing aroma is because God has given it to his people. And that's something we've, we've noted several occasions on this book, is this is God giving these instructions. How can the people know that this will please him? Because he's the one who gave it, which I mean, and again, I think that informs our worship today too. How is it that we should approach God in the ways that He has given for us to approach Him, and not in our own made-up sort of ways? Right, and that's that's the other thing is God doesn't send the people wandering through the wilderness for ages and ages until they until they miraculously learn how to make Him happy. Uh, he, he tells them from the very beginning, look. Here's my law, which, by the way, you've already broken, and here's the solution. Here's what you do. Um, and, yeah, that's, that's, God is gracious, and, and he's merciful. He doesn't, he doesn't leave us to figure it out. He's, this, is, this is the solution right here. So for those common members of the people of Israel, the first sacrifice that's mentioned is this female goat without blemish. Verse 32, then, it can be then, or it could be a lamb, another female without blemish. And then before this list of possible sacrifices continues in 5 verse 7, there's this section, verses 1 to 6 in chapter 5, that mentions some of the potential either unintentional sins, it seems like most of, of them, 
that that might fall under this category. So let, let's talk a little bit about some of the sins that are, are mentioned. The first, it seems, has to do with the matter of testifying in a legal matter, and, and you there was a summons to testify, but you didn't testify even though you could. That's that's one of the unintentional sins that's mentioned. Can you shed a little bit of light on what's what that situation might be? Yeah, so called to testify. I mean, th- this is simply the way I think of it. You're called to testify. You know the truth, and you don't you don't provide the truth. And you know somebody else may be on the line when you know your 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 testimony could have and likely would have uh, helped the situation out. Um, I think of moving pastorally. I think of Ezekiel as the watchman. Uh, you know, you see something that, that needs to be called out and you don't call it out. Well, their blood is on your hands or you call it out and they don't listen. Well, you know, you've, you know, they shall die in their iniquity, but, but you will have saved your soul. Uh, so, uh, that, that's kind of where my mind goes here in the beginning sure. of chapter five anyway. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, that can be, you, you could see how that might be an unintentional thing where, you know, you maybe just didn't realize the import of what was going on, so you see the unintentional nature of that, but yet the seriousness of it, as you said. Someone's life may be on the line, your testimony is needed. As beginning then in verse 2, much sure. of the rest of this section deals with a matter of what's clean and unclean, and how you might have become unclean, again, unintentionally. Now, the matter of cleanliness and uncleanness in the book of Leviticus is, a, is it going to be a key theme but we haven't seen too much of it yet. Uh, what's what's going on here in oh, verses about two through three, I guess? Uh, so it's uh, the, the clean and unclean business is uh, a complicated thing for us, I believe, because it's a foreign thing for us, but I also believe it's a more complicated thing for us because we, we tend to think more along the lines of what we see in the New Testament with the Pharisees and the tradition of the elders who really, really complicate this business of, of, of clean and unclean. But you could see how you could know the law of clean and unclean and, and still maybe unintentionally come into contact with, with something that is unclean. Uh, you know, you could be traveling down the road and pull off on the side of the road you know, walk to make camp or this or that, and accidentally come into contact with a tomb. Well, you didn't. It's not like you were just storming into a, into a tomb because you you wanted to. You you right. unintentionally came into contact with with the dead, and uh, that's uh, again kind of very simply what I'm what my mind kind of goes to. Um, same that could be same thing with animals. Could be the same thing with. Uh, an issue of blood, uh, any anything like that, right? So then, when those matters become become known to you, that is when the time for these sacrifices comes about. Uh, what about there in verse four, the matter of a rash oath? Uh, what's the what's the unintentional sin that is in view there? Oh, sorry, I, l- I lost my place in my Bible. If anyone utters with his lips a rash oath to do evil or to uh, to do good, um, the the tongue, right? Um, how often do we say things that very, very quickly roll off our lips and we, without thinking, just say it and, uh, and, and, and that's it. You know, everything is being covered here. Um, how quick we are to, 
to repent for those things, uh, even sometimes more quickly than we are to say them because we, we knew that uh, we shouldn't have. Uh, again, I think that's um, where, where I'm, what I'm thinking there. Now, then in verses 5 and 6, where I think one of the things to, to pick up here is that as soon as you realize your guilt in these matters, as small of a thing as they may be, like, oh, I, I just happened upon that, that dead animal along the road. It was an accident. I'm not going to worry about it. No, rather, as soon as you realize your guilt in these matters, here are the steps you are to take. Again, I think you see the, the seriousness of sin in terms of the timing. Yes, you committed it unintentionally, but you committed it. So when you realize it, here's the the way that God has given for you to receive his atonement. Right, and, and again, going back to kind of the beginning where we started, our, our mindset oftentimes today is, well, it was unintentional, um, didn't really mean to, nobody else saw it, not that big of a deal, uh, but Leviticus 4 and 5 speaks differently to us. And, and, hmm. and there is atonement that needs to be made. It still is sin. Uh, it needs to be forgiven. Yeah, and it, it needs to be done so quickly. I think that the urgency of the matter that seems inherent in the text is something that we often take for. I'll, I'll repent later. No, repent now. Yeah, sure. Right. Uh, and, and you can see, again, how many, how many unintentional sins could be committed where, where you know, and then it, it immediately gets into can't can't afford this stuff. Well, of course, you know may, maybe yesterday I could have afforded a lamb, but <laughs> but uh, it cost cost me three lambs yesterday, and and uh, I'm out. <laughs> kind of right, the so, kind of the Luther approach, where you never leave the booth, you know. <laughs> so by the time you've you've made all the sacrifices necessary, you're you're down to just the matter of the flour at the end. That's what all right, you got. Afford. All I've got is left of flour. Oh, that's that's. That's kind of kind of a joke, but um, sure. I just think it, it's kind of interesting. By the time you get here in the text, it's like, yeah, nobody's got anything left. <laughs> well, so, but as, as we talked a little bit about this toward the beginning of our conversation, we, we do see the grace of God here, that, you know, it's not about how much you can afford, that there's some standard that you've got to work up toward to be able to earn this grace. Rather, the Lord meets right. you wherever Absolutely. you are, rich or poor, and provides for the atonement to be made. Absolutely. I mean, God, God is meeting every single one of these people in whatever sin um, to, to bring them forgiveness. And that, again, shows you the grace uh, and mercy of God. Hmm. Right, and, it, and that makes it something that's not—it's it, definitely not a matter of works then, because— it's not like the poor person commits this unintentional sin and then has to figure out a way to earn enough money to get the right amount of sacrifice. No, he simply takes what God has already given him, and, and the Lord makes that an appropriate right. sacrifice rather than him thinking he's got to work it out some, somehow himself. Okay. Absolutely right. Excellent. Excellent point. Very well said. So, Pastor Busman, we got about two minutes here on the morning. Again, there's a very a lot of text here, a lot of details, but certainly plenty of themes that flow throughout the chapter. Uh, help us again. Remind us what we've what to wrap this text up for us, and especially help us to see how how we see Christ in Leviticus four and five. Sure. Yeah. Thanks so much again for for having me uh, on this morning. 
we see here that um, how sin, even unintentional sin, can disorder life among God's people, whether it's the priest uh, or the common people. Uh, the result of that sin, whether priest or common person, is messy. Uh, blood must be shed, but God, in his own way, uh, through his word, through drawing near to his people, through his order, through his structure, uh, offers the solution for that sin. Uh, blood is shed, uh, the sin is atoned for, and the, re the relationship that he has with his people is made right once again. Of course, we see that uh, the blood being spread on the on the altar of incense, um, the altar of burnt offering, and the temple and the curtain of the temple, uh, we enter into God's presence uh, through blood, and it's by the blood of Christ shed on the cross that we enter into His presence, even now. Pastor John Busman is pastor at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Coleman, Alabama. He's been helping us today to study Leviticus chapter 4, verse 1, through chapter 5, verse 13. Pastor Busman, thanks for being our guest today. I appreciate it. Talk to you next time. Sin makes a mess of our lives, whether intentional or unintentional. We make a mess of things when we sin, yet the Lord provides an ordered way for his people, Israel, to deal with that sin, to go, come to him and receive the atonement that he desires for them, the atonement that he freely gives through the blood that is shed. How much more, then, do we have that forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ shed for us, having made atonement for us sinners? I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about Leviticus 4 and 5, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always a pleasure to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.